This week on Trek Mary Kill, Q, Q, Riker, next. It's the war of the Qs. I demand asylum. You would ask these puny humans to protect you from me? They're all powerful. We've been transported back in time to the birth of the universe. Almighty. You can't hide from me, Q. And all consuming. We've been reduced to subatomic proportions. And if they can't resolve their conflict. What the hell is going on? It's all over. Ready or not, here I am. On the next Star Trek Voyager. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kat. Hi, I'm Ethan. Welcome to Trek, Mary, kill, a podcast where we decide if episodes of Star Trek should be granted asylum, imprisoned in a comet, or given hemlock. <laughs> Joining me this week is returning guest co-host Kat Spada of Feminist Frequency Radio and her fiance, Ethan Harper, an illustrator and cartoonist. Welcome to you both. Thank you Hello, for having thank you. me back. It's so great to have you back, uh, Kat, because uh, in the email I got, it was, well, I don't know very much about Voyager. So why are you bothering me? <laughs> How did you get this email? Yeah, exactly. Who is this? Exactly. I don't remember I don't you. respect women in charge. I don't so. remember you. I was so uh, taken. It's just really stuck in my mind, your Riker interest. Yes. That, that, I'm, that I just scan reality for all instances of Riker and Riker, Riker adjacent things. Yes. Riker throughout the multiverse. Something That's right. <laughs> Cat Spada across the Rikerverse. <laughs> <laughs> we were just rewatching the Next Generation pilot, and he shows up with no beard, and I was just like, "Oh, he's so handsome." <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a the Trials of Season Two theme month. And there's an episode oh. of Star Trek Voyager that has Riker in it. And I was like, listen, <laughs> I, I'm actually invited. I'm inviting you back for two Riker episodes. I I think you remember that, right? Thank, so yes, like, thank God. Doing. And I was just like, this is perfect. But also, Ethan, your enthusiasm just in general for I was going to say nerd shit, but really just like an appreciation <laughs> for genre and, and sort of the craft of making things. For me, Star Trek is very much like there's so much craft in making it because it's oh, yeah. you know, a history of the future. So it's like I feel like this is a good partnering. And also the two of you have great chemistry, even though I'm talking right in the middle of the two of you. So uh, I, I just wanted to get you both on, and I this seems like a good opportunity. Also, I suspect you've actually seen Voyager before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I had. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, so I, Kat and I sort of had similar watching experiences. I mean, I definitely watched, initially, that is. I, I watched maybe a bit more than she did, but we both, I think, watched it with family members, primarily Next Generation. Um, and then I remember seeing bits and pieces of, you know, Deep Space Nine and Voyager and everything as I grew up. But all I really remembered clearly into my adulthood was was Next Generation. And then for years, people telling me how good Deep Space Nine was and how it evolved and grew. And um, but I I really didn't sit down to do a proper watching of it as an adult until like um, may, maybe a little under 10 years ago, which sounds like a while now, but to me feels like three years ago. Um, and I basically sat down and just watched like all of next generation and then just kept rolling, watched all of next generation, all of deep space nine, 
and then all of Voyager, like, and then all of Enterprise even, I just kept going. And it was kind of when I first moved out to LA and I was pursuing doing illustration as my full-time job for the first time ever really. And so I just kind of had that, I finally developed that discipline that so many of my artist friends had for years before me, which was, I was able to like play semi ignorable television shows on a separate monitor while I worked on another monitor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But for years I was like, I don't know how you do that. I can't not watch something with my entire attention. And then eventually when I started trying to do art for a living, I was like, Oh, you have to be able to split your time doing this or else you won't get to watch anything. (laughs) Um, And so one of the things I finally did was sit down and watch, all of next generation to remind myself and then just kept going. So a few years ago, I watched through all the series, like in one fell swoop over several months or whatever. And so it was, you know, sort of fresh in my mind, but not entirely. Um, when I, but yeah. going back and watching these episodes, I realized that, you know, I would tape them before there is DVR yeah. and all that stuff. And, and they would also be in strip syndication eventually. And yeah. I realized I have watched a, quite a lot of these episodes many, many, many times already. <laughs> sure. And I'm finding out that that includes uh, at least early season Voyagers. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm rewatching this one. I'm like, I know this episode like I know family members. This is kind of weird that <laughs> wow. I've seen it so wow. many times and I know it that well. Um, and I'm this is all a setup for when I forget a key fact later on in the podcast. <laughs> um, but anyway, so... So you got into Star Trek, okay, and pretty traditional way. Kat, I believe you said like you and your sister really bonded over Star Trek. That's how you got into it. Yeah, and that's why I haven't really watched Voyager is I looked it up and this show premiered the year that she moved out. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I I was like, that solves it. I knew my sister liked Voyager. Like we've talked about this as adults. She loves Janeway. Um, but I just was like, God, why don't I remember watching this? And that was the year that she moved out on her own after high school. And so we, uh, I was still a kid and our, our weeks would include a one evening watching the next generation and one evening watching deep space nine, but, uh, Voyager just sort of missed me somehow. So I think, uh, don't worry, you won't find a better prepared, couple when it comes to binge watching or prepping for a podcast because in the last what two weeks we watched uh all of season one and season two up to this i didn't want to watch past yeah. it before that I was, was your preparation you know i better just start the show and yeah. so i started voyager i've been digging it p.s and then this weekend, Ethan curated a Q playlist <laughs> so mm. that we yeah. could also be better prepared because I had seen a Q episode here and there, but uh, the only one I remembered in recent memory was the Picard episode. So I, I needed to revisit some earlier uh, instances of Q, and that's why we were rewatching the Next Generation pilot. And I was like, Ah, yeah, what a weird sense. Yes. They were like Star Trek's coming back. Guess what, everyone? You like some weird shit? How about like a medieval <laughs> courtroom? <laughs> you know, right. Try yeah. this on for size. <laughs> Cops on fentanyl. What? <laughs> so how yeah. did he predict that? Jeez. <laughs> oh man, so wild. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, we're talking about Death Wish, the 18th episode of Star Trek Voyager's second season. Again, it's uh, part of our trials of season two. I'll explain in a second why that is. If you haven't watched the episode, Teleplay by Michael Piller. 
uh, from a story by his son, Sean Piller, which we will discuss later, uh, directed by James L. Conway. It aired on UPN, rest in peace, February 19th, 1996. <laughs> so for sweeps, they were like, we're bringing in Q. Uh, big yeah. sweep, uh, sweep stunt. Uh, John Delancey, <laughs> the, the ratings booster. Um, Memory oh, Alpha yeah. describes the episode as a member of the Q continuum comes aboard Voyager seeking asylum so he can commit suicide. Q arrives on board to stop him, leaving Captain Janeway to mediate a moral dilemma. So mm, commit suicide. It's not it's a it's a phrase. Uh, I think we're all trying to mm, shove aside or, you know, yeah. modulate a little bit, uh, yeah. you know, died by suicide. I will say just like kind of reading more of the background because I was uh, like I had forgotten. Wait, why are we doing this? Well, I get it. I, it's. Mental health, got it. But it's like this is the purest example of someone committed to suicide. <laughs> yeah. So Q two, I guess, or we can call him Quinn, which is winds up being his oh, his right. name once he's. We can spoil everything. It's a weapons free here, free flowing <laughs> conversation about this episode of Star Trek Voyager. Um, and you know he he's the Q continuum's like this is weird. We're gonna lock you away till you come to your senses but uh suicide sensitive subject i don't think this episode really considers that which could be a very 90s aspect of it i think this that concept would be treated differently if not handled differently if done today but it really is kind of like an intellectual exercise but i don't know any thoughts either of you want to say about it's it's really insistent use of commit suicide (laughs) yeah I I think the main thing is I looked it up because I was like, this has to have been like squarely at the same time as the Kevorkian trials. And Mm. it was like, I guess those trials went on for maybe four years and this episode came out two years in. So there was some, there was just seemed like a real sensationalism about it. And like tonight, Star Trek deals with the issues of today (laughs) like that kind of feeling yes Um, right from the headlines sure yeah yeah Yeah. but the actual like and we'll get probably more into it but they they talk around i think a lot of like human like why humans might seek suicide or seek assisted suicide and it does feel like kind of hard to really connect it to real life when it's this goofy cartoonish foppish q story that we're doing yeah they try to offload some of that about what humans in the 20 20th century watching this would do by saying well the vulcans are you know four they find mm-hmm. it logical oh, that yeah. if you reach a certain point so that was kind of like their way of splitting the the difference i guess maybe to your point huh. um but i i mean listen uh, my my dad died by suicide and and watching this episode when it came out it had not like i didn't think about it at all like that's how unemotional this episode is <laughs> right, like it doesn't right. it doesn't trigger anything it doesn't it doesn't oh. like get into any of that stuff it's because it's it's almost so abstracted but i was still very fascinated by this episode well and one of ethan's favorite movies is it's a wonderful life so when they get into the like if you do this, like, like you have an impact on someone. I do feel like that's still divorced from like the human uh, reality of like people will mourn you, which I think is a mm-hmm. very big difference from like you'll have an impact yeah. on the order of the continuum, which is which is nothing. Yeah, 
it's kind you know it's kind of there in the just in the idea of like we don't know what your death will do to our continuum our society but more right. than that like we're concerned about you that you want to do this it's kind of there but yeah it's not brought out i guess it's kind of because michael pillar I'm not a doctor, so I won't remotely diagnose him. I'll just say Michael Pillar, everything you've ever read about him, it's like emotions, not something he was like super comfortable with or was able to channel in his writing. And it would become very, um, you know, academic in a way. And he was one of the main people who would push like techno babble. But this is like huh. one of his better late teen, like Star Trek era scripts, I feel like, because it's there's a lot of like really solid uh, writing in this script, but not emotional, just very strange. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's all very technical. I definitely had yet to think as deeply about this as Kat did, which is always the case. Um, but like her talking about, yeah, the comparison between that and like, it's a wonderful life and the idea of an emotional connection to someone choosing suicide is is yeah it's removed i mean you know that's the whole the whole court case is is his hinging on that is like oh are, you don't seem to be suffering you know why why should i like judge in your favor to make this decision because you're not like in pain let's visit the continuum let's talk about this and yet and that the actor's doing a fine job but yeah you don't really have that kind of human connection it's like it's kind of explained that he's got this but it's really clearly a more clinical very clinical decision yeah. on his part it's just yeah. very like well this you know and he doesn't say it but it's also kind of got that bit of an energy when people write immortal characters where they go well like death is kind of the last great adventure like i don't know what that's like mm -hmm. because it doesn't seem like he's really like so miserable in his life he's just bored it's like a but weird for, yeah for as Sorry, clinical that was all as it place. is no, no. Notably absent is the clinician. Like, am I misremembering? But I don't feel like the doctor really weighs in. And that well, true. Like, but, I, but honestly, <laughs> the not alive like, doctor. Yeah, you, you've watched enough of Voyager to know. Really, you want him weighing in? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I may also think he's handsome, but I, but I was like, this would be interesting, right? Because he should have the logic of a Vulcan to some extent, because he's not human, but he was programmed by Starfleet. So if right. Starfleet does not condone assisted suicide, I would think it would be like against his Hippocratic oath or whatever <laughs> to also support it. <laughs> but it just seemed like, well, if we're trying to uh, gauge suffering, maybe you might, uh, scan him or or try to get some some input uh from you know a two-year-old alien or her, her hollow doctor boyfriend <laughs> yeah. oh that that wasn't her boyfriend her boyfriend is the is the weird stuffed animal looking guy don't talk to me about neelix <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just recorded two vix the other night that episode cat oh, i haven't even told cat about that yet and i can't wait for her to see that episode so don't spoil it Please text me or email me when this happens. Like, I cannot I wait to watch that episode and then watch and then watch the lower decks episode that like yeah. upon it as well. We just, what, we, what was the one the one we just watched where Tuvok has to like learn how to kill? Yeah, <laughs> and then he has the holodeck like fantasy of like murdering 
uh, Neelix. Neelix. <laughs> You're like, like oh. we're all dreaming it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, Kat, is this your favorite scene of the series so yeah. far? Yeah. I like walked in the room and I was like, I expected you to have like a giant smile on your face when the scene just happened. <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm not that heartless. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, also leave it to Star Trek on a network like UPN's uh, like a fledgling yeah. network trying to survive and like you know what we got for sweeps <laughs> suicide <laughs> we got Dawson's Creek and this yeah Q will be doing a crossover appearance on Moesha later <laughs> oh my god one of the other things that I kind of the little note I made to myself was I mean the episode is very uneven. I think we can all agree. Like there's some great stuff in it. There's some not great stuff in it. That's what we're all here to talk about. Right. Is the kind of where this lies in the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But I, one of the first notes I wrote was just like, cause I, I watched the episode like another extra time, just kind of today to take some closer notes. Kat's good at doing that on her first watch through, but I needed to do it again. Oh, you're one and of those people. Kat. like my name's like Catherine Janeway. I'm just very, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're just a smarty pants, <laughs> but you were um, watching it again. She was really was good as the trial person. Maybe we'll talk about that more. Keep going. <laughs> Go oh, ahead. man. Yeah. Uh, just to say that, like, my first note was like, oh, yeah, this new cue, they introduce him and like, he's really like dumb at first. And then he kind of like they write him a little smarter later. And it's like he's just very like infantile when he first shows up as if he's like a new cue, <laughs> like a literal like new to the cue. He's just really like derpy and kind of stupid. And then he like slowly becomes a much more fleshed out realistic character but i was just like this is a weird i think they uh, built it in maybe then totally i don't think they totally earn it necessarily but i think they at least built in that to that idea that like he's saying like oh i'm a little rusty because he's literally been oh, locked right. away kind of for been... 300 years so he's like i haven't like okay. interacted with anybody or done anything and you're right hours and anything. so maybe that's like part of that to come back yeah. into himself. Um, You're probably right. I mean, yeah, they clearly do the thing with his powers not working and that he's kind right. of like, yeah, just a little bit awkward, but I, uh, he kills like all men. Just... What an ally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Off the couch. He's just yep. like, let's take down this patriarchy. Yep. All right. Yeah. Uh, so some specific thoughts are, you know, anything that you don't feel like fits into any of the grades that we're going to ask any trivia or anything you thought you might mention. I mean, um, it's just, just like that was a, a a sort of a dream deferred. But that scene at first, I was like, "Wait, is this is this what the episode is going to be? It's, <laughs> it's, like the whole episode is going to be Janeway and Torres like trying to figure out how to get the men back because that's really interesting. Like, what is, what is, debating if they even should like that. Yeah, right. yeah. Like they they at first are like, "Wow, actually, like we're making great time on our way home. <laughs> like maybe yeah. this was the trick." And also, there had this, the been... episode spans like ten years, and they're like, "Who's going great?" Yeah. yeah. Um, there could be like a drama. Like what if that pregnant woman's child was a was a male? You know, that could have been very dramatic. So I was Ooh. very excited about the fan fiction I was writing in that instant. <laughs> and then um, Boy babies and... get airlocked. Girl babies get rewarded. Boy <laughs> babies get airlocked. There's the pull quote for the episode. And like what if Neelix stayed around because like he's not actually a male in whatever species he is? Who knows? Um, but <laughs> Then, yeah, the snap, the snap could have worked. It just decided not to. It just was like, not now. <laughs> and then I kept thinking about how Janeway has been really like wanting coffee. So I was like, oh, this is going to be oh, really yeah. funny. Like Q's going to snap his fingers and coffee's going to appear. And she's like, we should keep you around, buddy. 
Coffee cue. We were having such a fun romp until like <laughs> until the actual episode started. Right. Until like five minutes in. <laughs> so they've been trying to figure out a cue story from the very beginning of the series, which, you know, this was very much like Deep Space Nine was complicated and dark and also not as highly rated as Next Generation. So Voyager right. was like, we're just going to do Next Generation again with the Lady Captain. Uh, right. We're gonna we're gonna downgrade the whole rest of the cast though, make them uninteresting, <laughs> not as good actors, and just see what happens. Uh, but then, uh, but also built into that is this idea of like, well, they're in the Delta Quadrant, and Q literally, we've his like third appearance, he snaps the Enterprise across the universe, so or right. across the galaxy, so he could get Voyager home with the snap of a finger. How do we figure that out? Um, yeah, and that enter Nepo baby, Sean Pillar, who. Mm. Uh, his, he heard his dad talking about the story here. Uh, he had an idea. He came up with the idea. So I'm I'm sourcing three things. Captain's Log Supplemental, The Unauthorized Guide to the New Trek Voyages, which is a book, nice. uh, an issue of Cinefantastique, and our old friend TV Ooh, Guide. Uh, yes, love the TV Guide. Oh, Cinefantastique, sorry. I know, Cinefantastique. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's a quality product, or in its time it was. Uh, sorry, big TV Guide head here. Uh, anyway, so across those three sources, we have my my son heard, this is Michael Pillar speaking, my son heard me chatting away at the dinner table, and he came in and started pitching, and he gave me this basic idea. Now, when he heard me talking about the difficulties of bringing Q uh, to Voyager at home, he came up with the idea that all of us have been looking for for years and that is a true creative achievement. The bottom line is we've been looking for a Q story that we would feel comfortable with. I didn't come in and pitch with everyone in the room. Um, and like they all knew him like, hey, Shawnee boy, I remember when you barfed on yourself that one day. <laughs> Whatever. Like, you know, just they've known him all, all his life, basically. Uh, so everybody knows Sean and would like to help him. But we're not just going to hand him an assignment because he's my son. I'm pretty tough that way. But he came up with this thing himself and he wrote the story himself. Uh, the most experienced Star Trek minds. This is the quote he said for TV Guide. The most experienced Star Trek minds had been stumped by the challenge of bringing Q to Voyager. But my son walked in with the answer. I would have been a fool to turn it down. The record is very clear that I will buy a good story from anybody. He would have loved to have written the script. But as I said, there are no favors here. He had never written a teleplay and I wasn't going to pay him to practice on us. <laughs> Uh, I think they also wound up working together. So, you know, Voyager was a success for UPN. Michael Piller had basically saved Star Trek back in The Next Generation. He wrote the pilot for Deep Space Nine, which I contend is both a ripped off and one of the best pilots of the last like 30, 35 years. It's a great pilot. He set that show up like he identified Iris Stephen Bear to be the showrunner for that. Um, he huh. helped launch Voyager. So he'd done his bit for Star Trek and his reward yeah. was going to be his own show of his own idea that wound up being the Richard Dean Anderson post MacGyver vehicle legend. Oh, oh, he's basically playing the wild, wild west inve inventor character. Like that's literally the show. It takes place in the wild west. He's like an inventor spy. Wow. I didn't yeah. even know about this. And Sean Pillar was like, oh, the UPN shows that used to exist. Nowhere Man, Platypus Man, okay, yeah. <laughs> which was a comedy. <laughs> uh, there's a Whoa. lot of like weird um, uh, sci-fi shows that existed in the early days of UPN. But anyway, so Sean Pillar, I think, also would then go on and write on that show as well. And I think he would. He contributed a next generation idea before this. And so he's been around. I'm, I'm not quite sure what he's doing now. But anyway, just want to point that out. Thought that was a big deal to mention that. Yeah. Um, this is Q's 10th overall appearance 
in the Star Trek universe, eight in TNG, one in Deep Space Nine, and he would then go on to do two more Voyagers, and he'd recur nine more times in Star Trek Picard across seasons two and three. Hmm. Oh, and then this is very important. I don't know if you, either of you knew this. This is also from the same TV Guide interview, but I actually remembered this maybe from reading that TV Guide at the time. But uh, Kate Mulgrew and John Delancey, the original Q, they have been they had been friends for many years before this. this oh, is their wow. first time working together. Oh, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So that explains the chemistry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, Kate Mulgrew is wow. great, and when she's actually with someone who knows who's like a good scene partner, she yeah, you know, and it's a good yeah. dynamic. I had forgotten until I was listening to you and Kristen talk about the Voyager premiere that Kate Mulgrew was a uh, Lady Columbo. <laughs> this is Columbo, yep. yes. Yep. This is Columbo, which uh, we're also big Columbo heads over here. Oh, so yeah. I, but have never watched Mrs. Columbo. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to that. <laughs> which is 100% like not <laughs> connected to the real Columbo. Don't, don't care. <laughs> They just tried to force it. That'll be interesting to see, to go back and watch and be like, what moves that she used as Janeway started at Mrs. Columbo? (laughs) As I've said before, like in Orange is the New Black, she's doing Janeway, but with like an Eastern Black accent. I can't remember. Is she Russian? I can't remember. Like she's like moving. She's got her hands on her hip and the way she's wagging her finger. I'm like, that's Janeway. She's explaining (laughs) something about an electrical impulse. No, no. She's talking about pierogies. Sorry. All right. So let's get into the grades then. We'll start with great scenes. Kat. Yeah, why don't you go first? What what do you find was a great scene first? First, up? I mean, it was the, it was basically the first two scenes were my great scenes. The <laughs> uh, the moment when I think the episode's going to be about what if uh, <laughs> all the men are men. gone, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then uh, once we have both cues on the bridge, I thought there was some such good cue on cue action there. So that whole first scene of like this is these people on the bridge dealing with Q for the first time. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, just about the well. men scene, just about the men scene. Yeah. Let's talk real quick. Cause the, now you've reminded me that Neelix annoyed me in that scene. Remember he, <laughs> he makes her, the, he makes the place setting. Oh, he goes right. rabbit, the uh, Welsh rabbit, like your grandfather. You never told me. Henry, you like rabbit. He's like, what's a rabbit? And I'm like, you've been on yeah. the ship for a year and a half. You don't know what a yeah. rabbit is. You idiot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so annoying. And it's also just like, well, we need them to say something. So what's the dumbest yeah. thing we can think of, I guess. Uh, but I mean, uh, yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, I wrote the second scene where our, our Q appears, um, Q1, uh, where it's the hide and seek, right? They, they, the big bang, they hide in, not right. the show. Yeah. Uh, right. this, they become subatomic and are attacked by protons. Yeah. And then they're hanging on a Christmas tree. The Christmas tree. Which leads to which John Delancey that- looking in the view screen, which is funny. Was the Christmas tree thing like a nod to what was the show where the, the you find it at the end that was all the kids' fantasy inside of like a snow globe? Well, that's seen elsewhere, that, right? Seen elsewhere. Yeah. Was that supposed to be like a little nod to seen elsewhere? Because that was a snow globe, not like a Christmas tree. But I thought that was a really odd choice. And no weirder than any other choice that Q Delancey makes. But like. Maybe Voyager had been released as an ornament from Hallmark. Hallmark, <laughs> Hallmark in the that, 90s especially had a very successful run of Star Trek they, ornaments. They um, absolutely they still did. do. Right. But they back in that heyday it was there um you're right i would not be surprised if that was actually it that would be a very smart bit of like branding <laughs> okay so wait so chris uh, 
So sorry, I'm used to just saying like remember that Simpsons joke? Or <laughs> no, but it's Lisa. So I was about to call you Kristen Cat. Sorry. Uh, so Cat, is it so then you just named the only two th- scenes you thought were great? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well then I, I'm just gonna rush right in then. I think the first asylum scene, Q interviews himself. Then he, after he's done with that, he brings in people from across Earth history. Sir Isaac oh, wow. Newton, the father of, his, of physics, a hippie who was critical to the success of Woodstock, and Commander William T. Riker. Uh, and then talks about how Q2 impacted their lives. I mean, Jonathan Frakes is in his bag. He's just like, I'm Riker. Here I am. Yeah. Yep. Just, I used to call him old iron boots when they see the yeah. Civil War po- poster picture. I'm like, this is amazing. I can't believe he's just, he is Riker. And I remember when, yeah. I, when this episode first aired, I was like, oh, brother, they couldn't get Patrick Stewart. Like, <laughs> you, you just invoked, you invoked the Simpsons and like, Riker showing up had such poochy energy to me, which is like whenever Poochie's not on screen, everyone should be asking, where's Poochie? Where's like, Poochie? <laughs> uh, excuse me, that's what Voyagers definitely suffered from. It's like, how much yes. can we mention the Enterprise and yeah. the card and everybody? That was that was baked into the premise, I think. Like, uh, it's a very long scene, this, this uh, initial... Oh, it really is. The Asylum, it's 10 minutes and 15 seconds before they're whisked away to being inside the comet to get an idea of his living situation. And then we get two scenes after that <laughs> with basically a 15 minutes and 45 second act one of a, a very long act, but we're in that hearing room a long time. I don't know. You've been watching a lot of Voyager lately. I've been watching a lot of Voyager lately and I was captivated the entire time because there it's, it was rare. It, there is no 15 minute stretch in Voyager that held my interest as much as this one did. Uh, I thought, uh, we're doing a lot of court episodes for this theme month, obviously. And so this is an asylum oh, yeah. hearing, which isn't quite the same thing. And I like that we didn't, they didn't try to like jargon up what the procedure is. And it really just kind of played like a, like a conversation almost. And yeah. I think it actually worked that we didn't be, we weren't like, there weren't like objecting to, you're not supposed to talk right now, or you're supposed to do this right. and, and then do that. And I kind of liked the way that it just flowed into each thing because it all felt very much of a piece and not like herky jerky. And I can't imagine how difficult this must have been to shoot, but at the same time, it could have been shot very quickly. It all just flowed very nicely. Anyway, uh, Ethan, do you want to jump in? Yeah. Having thought about it while you guys talked and um, I think my favorite scenes really are honestly just kind of, anything with Q and Janeway just because their chemistry is so good and so like kind of exciting and playful. I mean, that's Delancey brings that to like every time he's anywhere in the show, he does it in any star Trek and you know, Kat and I having just rewatched like all the, the, the best Q episodes on the enterprise with him and Picard and just their like weird flirtatious everything. And that Janeway is kind of this, very much of a female Picard in some ways. I mean, she's definitely her own person, but like, you know, they have that same kind of energy. And so to see him like bouncing off someone else that's similar. And I don't know, it was just like every time they're having their little banter, it's just great. They really are just delightful to watch. A nice departure from Cisco. I mean, which was a, a yeah. needed departure where Cisco <laughs> yeah. just like, nope. Oh and he boy. Just it's just comedic. It's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I really I, liked all their scenes the bedroom scene particularly is incredible oh Uh, you know what you're right that i loved that (laughs) 
they're both just doing their characters so well. He's being Q. He's just flirting with her and being a total weirdo, but he's also like kind Such of sincerely <laughs> making this offer. He's like, he's just full of himself. And, you know, like I had forgotten that he had that whole subplot with, uh, with Vash, with Picard's old flame, where they'd like essentially run off for a couple of years together, where he was just like helping her explore the universe and they were basically like a couple and i was like oh right he kind of like dated picard's ex and now he's like out on voyager he's kind of making a pass at janeway but i believe in his own weird way he's kind of sincere he's like yeah i'll take you back to earth and then we can just like be a thing and she's like what the f- you th- get out of here like she just completely shuts him down and it's like but just her performance is so good and his performance is so good i just love seeing them I think why it was hard maybe for me to identify great scenes once the episode's like engine starts chugging is that I think this episode like wants to do two things that so far I think Voyager, so far in my viewing of the first season and a half, Voyager does well, but I just don't think that this episode really executes very well because it's so tonally all over the place, which Star Mm. Trek often is, (laughs) but um (laughs) The two things being like there was an episode where uh, Ensign Harry Kim swaps places with an alien creature who's thinks that she's dying and going to the afterlife. Is this emanations? Yes. And I thought that episode was quite beautiful. And as we all know, Star Trek can tackle mortality in a really insightful way and make you think about things you've never have before. So there was, you know, at first I was like, okay, I like a Star Trek episode that that takes us there. But then just Q doing his basically verbal pratfalls the whole time. I was like, <laughs> you know, you're losing me here. But the other thing is Janeway as a person of principle is mm. so interesting to me. And there have been several times where I was like, if this show were being made today, I think they could have pushed this further. Like she would have had to really ask herself a, even a more difficult question. And on this episode, mm. it was kind of similar. I I think it lost me pretty early on because I wasn't really on board for the premise that Q would listen to Janeway, like that Alpha Q yeah. would respect this court <laughs> um, and that he wouldn't just be like, no, I don't care about you. I'm just going to make your you know i'm a i'm an imp i'm here to make mischief so whatever like the fact that he would even listen to this court but also that janeway wouldn't put her principles to the side and say yeah i don't care get us home please (laughs) like so it did kind of just lose me quickly because i was like they're not really she's just willing to play this silly game yeah so even though I was like having fun, I was along for the ride. Of course there were, I do feel like even the scenes that you're mentioning where I'm like, yeah, that was fun. But I kept just kind of groaning and going, Oh brother. So. Well, that's, oh, so yeah. I think that they were trying to lay the track for the, to create the integrity by that hide and seek where, I mean, you've got two back-to-back instances. I guess I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just like, so it just didn't read, like it just it didn't matter to you. He like gets rid of all the men and then he's he's using Voyager as like a shield against the continuum. And mm-hmm. his intention is to do this forever. And like we already show he, he has callous disregard 
that the half her crew or whatever, however many, many men there right. are on right. Voyager are just gone. He's like, Oh, I'm going to leave now. And yeah. so it's like, if for nothing else, it's like a way of like, well, if I can keep this in front of me, then I, maybe I have a chance of diffusing it before it blows up in my face. Like I, yeah, it was kind of, it's definitely a flimsy pretext for all this. It's like, and then it's like, it's an asylum hearing, but like, she really has no power. Like when she grants it, like the, like Voyager can't defend, protect him from the continuum. So then you get this weird side bet where he's like, well, if she agrees with me, that means the continuum has to give more, uh, give me mortality, which why, why do they have to do that? (laughs) Like it doesn't, doesn't track and like figure out how to kill yourself then. But, but yeah, I mean, I feel like they addressed your concern a little bit, but I, I respect that. It's like, ah, it still didn't work for me. This was, we had Riker and a hippie in, in here and Sir Isaac Newton had, no, yeah. it lost me. That's fine. I, I got it. <laughs> yeah. Me saying that it was like a great scene is just means like I enjoyed it. But yeah, if I'm standing and looking at this as a like quality episode that like forwards the message of Star Trek in general, I'm like, no, this was it's a little bit. I think when you get up and down, it's a little bit. I think when you get into all the Q stuff, it is sort of it's what they're telling us, which you know, it's a crutch and doesn't right. have to mean anything because this is written by human beings, but like uh-huh. we just don't understand, right? There's just something un- yeah. <laughs> something right. we yeah. can't comprehend about the continuum. So maybe there is some version of that. But I agree with your point of like, why is Janeway so principled about this? Why does she care? But I did but she says it's like, you know what? The only way this might work is if I show that we're being fair and we're gonna hear it out right. and maybe they'll just leave us alone if we just let them have their argument like in an open forum. And she's like, we'll follow this procedure to the letter. And like all of her questions and like sustained objections and rejected objections, like all that like track, she's like, okay, yeah, I don't see what the issue is here. (laughs) Like that's, that's half her thing. It's like, I don't get what the problem is here. Um, And and she does say, she does say like that specifically where she's like, in all my learnings about you specifically Q, like you've never been a liar. Like that's what I understand. So she figures if I can get him to agree to these terms and follow through on them, I don't know what the hell the whole Q's continuum deal is, but I know at least that this guy will be good to his own word because historically, according to the records, he is that at least like weirdly integrous once he like gives his word. Yeah. And I'll feel like I did my job and like actually right. stuck to my standards and my ethics. So yeah, um, I actually only had two more great scenes. Well, actually I want to, mm-hmm. I want to ask the the group. Do we think the scene inside the continuum is a great scene? It has great little Ah. bits about being the dog or being the scarecrow. I liked his picture in the newspaper column. I like the Joshua trees in the background. Have you ever seen a Joshua tree in real life? They are quite magical and and make me very happy. So it was nice to see those. But like, is the scene itself great? There's a lot of good dialogue in there or like, Quinn's able to uh, summarize his entire situation and intellectually it paints the idea of what's going on here. Like this immortality is an issue. They have to let me die. This is, I want to die. Like it comes through. I'm like, okay, you have written a great essay, Michael Piller. This is a great five page essay. (laughs) And it's like, but is it emotional? I'm not sure. And is the scene itself actually great? They're literally just standing around like a gas station or like a, a roadside motel. And that's it question about the scene was were all of those other people actual members of the q continuum or was this like a a visual representation that these humans could process 
I think it's it's both like every yeah, I think it's both. every aspect of that scenario they were in was some facet of the continuum. Like, what does it mean to be the scarecrow? Who knows? But like, and were those people? Yeah, they were. Could they represent thousands of people? Could they represent a right. couple of people? I think it's all of that. Um, Why were yeah, like they it was it was real. They 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 really visited like the Q continuum in whatever that means in space time. Like they were there, but they were they were being presented to the humans so that they could kind of wrap their brain around it. But it's my understanding that it wasn't just like a simulation of the Q continuum. They really exactly. went. Yeah. It was like, the Epcot, like an Epcot presentation of, of the Q right. continuum. I just didn't understand why they were just sitting there. If the continuum has been locking him up in a comet and they don't want him to die because it would threaten them. Why are they, why weren't those people like you got him back? Thanks alpha Q. Like, there was <laughs> two, two scenes, two reasons, which may not satisfy, not be good enough for you. And that's fine. The first one, though, is like Quinn mentions, they don't talk to each other. Like they, we just right. all conversations stop. The second one, then you have to pay. The more people who talk, the more people you have to pay. Fair, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm well, sure. convinced. <laughs> yeah. And that's all you should care about is what the right. UPM says about the budget. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. A very well-written scene, and I do think that all the stuff within it characteristically works, like all of his dialogue and what he says to Q and how he responds. Like, it all works very well. It's a and bummer guess... that it makes Q1, Prime Q, RQ. Uh, emo- right. it, it, like, gives the emotion to him, right? Because Quinn says, like, yeah. you inspired me when you were a fucking asshole to right. Enterprise. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, yeah. Just knowing we could still do that. And then he's actually, and that's when... Uh, John Delancey Q turns, we see the turn right. that happens to him. Uh, what I liked about it from our Starfleet side of things, because remember, Janeway is our hero, Tuvok's our hero, is I like that they're right. so gung-ho about this new thing. She's like, let's go. Let's just, I'm very, I want to see what yeah. the Q continues is all about. Like, We're explorers. And I did like him saying, you're an explorer, Captain. What if you had nothing left to explore? Like, th- just to yeah. kind of give it there. But in the scene, I don't know, there's just something colds about Quinn's plea and he's pleading. It's, it was weird. So I wasn't sure. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and I think that's just the, I think that's the larger problem with the whole, you know, the Q has always been such an odd thing because it kind of, he and the, 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 the continuum can kind of be whatever they need plot wise, but and it's very mysterious. And that's because they're semi omnipotent. So of course it's going to be mysterious to us humans, but, they're also constantly dealing in such human ways. So it, you know, it just contradicts itself a lot in the, in the bigger sense where you're like, whoever really knows what the heck is up with the Q continuum. Like the, yes, exactly. So yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't work on the whole. And so that therefore the scene itself works between these characters, but it's like, all right, but what really are these guys? Like, it's a very weird. Uh, it's, it's concept. sort of like the whole premise of like, we're bringing back Q for sweeps. And then the right. networks, the execs are like, that's cool. Everyone on Star Trek fans like Q and now our broader right. audience gets to see it. And then for Star Trek fans, it's like, what Voyager's going to the Q continuum. And then we finally get to see it. And it's like, it's a fart. It's just a giant fart in the wind. Yep. That's, that's the most creative, yeah. boring way station you could think of. And it's like, well, that's, yeah. That's it's a lot of edging, a, a lot of creative edging in this episode. <laughs> I mean, but, I don't envy anyone having to write that. Kind of, that's always like the biggest storyline where you're like, all right, what about a character that's outside time and space and humanity? Like, how do we write them and 
feel relatable to them and not make them Dr. Manhattan. It's like you can't yeah. because that's yeah, the thing. Once you yeah. get bigger than human brain, you're just not going to give a shit about human shit. Like, yeah. And you know what? There might we... be, if they did this today, they might try to make it weird and intentionally like the pressure would be, we know this has to be something. Right. And so that would might actually undermine the integrity of the dialogue, the ideas, the message in the scene yeah, itself, yeah. because they would get focused on like, well, what if one of the characters was like an animated character? You know what I mean? Like, right. or, or, you know, they just like weirded up like it was a mushroom trip or something. You could right, see that right. definitely going in the wrong way. So maybe Michael yeah. Pillar's austere, dispassionate <laughs> approach to it actually winds up serving the story, even though, I mean, man, they lost cat. That's a bummer. They lost they lost cat right away. Uh, but I I still think for me the last great scene is Janeway's ruling. Uh, mm. I'm I'm a big sucker for performances. Like just watching a great. <laughs> I like watching actors come to life and perform. Oh yeah. And Janeway, I think Kate Mulgrew is the all the MVP of at least half of Voyager, and then when Seven of Nine comes on. Oh, spoiler. Sorry, Kat. No, it's okay. Uh, it I, changes. But I mean, she so in that moment when she's, she's making awesome. her ruling, she knows, well, if I just rule and not care, I can, I will get my crew home. Right. That's one. The yeah. the, the level because uh, John Delance accused me of this thing. Um, but she's also setting that aside, which she said she would. So let's trust that she's telling the truth. And she said it won't impact my decision. Um, yeah. There's nothing good that comes out of this for her. For yeah. the crew, for for yeah. like nobody wins in the situation. She's like, this guy's going to die. Like, I'm going to yeah. I'm going to ease his suffering, but I'm going to basically be rubber stamping his death. And then yeah. if I help out these assholes over here, <laughs> right. I, I just don't want to. <laughs> but, you know, it's like so she's you see on her face. She's kind of I feel like just watching on my giant TV. I'm like, she's playing all of that. And she's yeah. like, be, she's trying to be reasonable. Like, I don't, we don't yeah. know what's going to do the queue, but what it does to them, good or bad, like that's actually not an issue. This is about you. You're the one asking for asylum. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I just, I, I, and then I really like after she gives the decision, there's some sassiness with John Delancey, but I really like that she, and, you know, that they write her to turn back to Quinn and say, yeah, I like this life cue. You might too think hard yeah. before you give it up. Very pure. Very pure of heart. Yeah. And I, I just appreciate it. So I thought it was great. Great Janeway scene. Uh, good scene overall. So, Yeah, I agree. I like that's That's what I was saying before, too, is the same. I just love a good performance. And she really is just so good at at selling her genuine emotion. And yeah, that's such a great little bit where she makes that plea to him to be like, all right, now that all the business part is done and she's had to make this hard decision to to do a thing that's not going to benefit anyone except for him, which is like her integrity. And then, yeah, she goes but really like consider choosing life <laughs> still. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's like very like, Oh, like it's good. All right. Best Trek tropes. Kat. Uh, for me, one that I wrote down was walking around in the desert to see some weird shit. <laughs> I, <laughs> Perfect. I love it. I feel like every third Trek episode, they're like, well, we got to go to Bronson Canyon or Joshua. Exactly. Tree. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. Um, and there was something so deliciously 90s. Like, I felt like I was going to see like a Coco Pelly or like a hacky sack out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think that's always a good Trek trope. They always got to be out in the desert to see some, something weird. 
I put this is a TNG trope that got ported over, and I, I love it because they even do it in Picard. Q, what is the meaning of this? Q, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Just yeah. anytime they're in a weird situation and they see Q, every Star Trek character knows to go, what yes. the f Q? <laughs> it's true. I think the whole idea of a trial, you know, in, in this particular Star Trek way, this is like a fusion of two things. Trials are a subgenre of Star Trek. Um, you know, For having sure. the captain adjudicate it or, you know, be the judge is like one of the rare times. Maybe it's the only time I can't. Now I'm blanking on yeah. when that's happened before. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, out of all the people on Voyager, like Janeway and Tuvok being involved in the legality, like the legal process, that's as good as you as it gets. Yeah. Uh, on, yeah. Even though the doctor literally could probably just like download like Lexus Nexus and just do it. Um, you know, J, you he's know, got, J, he's got yeah. all of Encarta 95. <laughs> that won't take up that much just space. So yeah. Uh, it's three, it's three CDs or five floppies. But I, I like the idea that this one was, you know, Star Trek wrangles with moral ethical questions all the time. They merged two of their, their genres. Um, they've had like assisted suicide type episodes before. Remember when Worf right. uh, had that accident and it, he couldn't, he was uh, paralyzed below the waist. And so he's like, oh, ritual oh, suicide. Yeah. That's the only honorable thing to do. And he's like That's trying right. to convince the crew to kill him and no one will do it. Um, yeah. Uh, so there's like, there's elements. So they kind of just took two of their tropes or their genres and they mashed them together. Oh, and then a, a Q episode on top of it. Uh, three things together. So anyway. right, yes. Uh, worst Trek tropes. I okay. now here's here's where I've got a, a pretty long list. Okay. <laughs> and again, like Let why did this episode just rankle me so much? Um, but <laughs> actually, the the time travel to the absurd locations. Like, I understand that it's for good dramatic purpose. Like from a Oh, from right. a writing television <laughs> perspective, but that he's like, oh, we're going to go hide out at the creation of the universe. <laughs> like that uh -huh. to me, it was like, again, it, it brings it to such the extreme that it's hard for me to relate to. But I do feel like they I've seen that happen a, a lot on Trek where they're like, oh, now we're going to go to this like completely unrelatable thing. Um Actually, a lot of my notes are like duplicates of the note above mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And then I I will kind of, because this is what Ethan and I were talking about last night. So I'm going to start this and then like throw it to you. But uh, mm -hmm. the, the like recent human history for 20th century viewers. So bringing us someone from the 20th century and someone, you know, and then Sir Isaac Newton, um, like we were talking about how that can be pretty annoying, but also like what I think, I don't know if this is really considered a Trek trope, but why did that only go in that positive? It's a wonderful life way. Like what if Quinn also is responsible for the Armenian genocide or something, you know, well, like <laughs> I, on my rewatch, I did actually catch something. He does. Yeah. When, yeah. When Q is talking to, to Janeway in her, like, ready room like before they come back or or at the very the, before she comes back for a final decision right and when and she says go back in there and say that you'll you won't put him right. back in the comet yeah go ahead. Yeah. yeah uh and that she says or he says uh one of the reasons that he was in prison was because he was 
something that he did like incited and ignited the Romulan Vulcan like hundred year war. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is like, oh, so he has. So they do kind of mention that he's he's done good and bad. Once again, the Vulcans getting uh, the human negative stuff offloaded onto them. Interesting choice. Right. Yeah. Uh, they become a proxy. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. So like so no whimsy. About. You're you're not you're anti whimsy in your Star Trek cat. <laughs> I You're like, really true. microscopic? I don't know. <laughs> Christmas trees. I, <laughs> I think it's just that it's like, it, it's sort of like invoking something that you can't argue with, I guess. That's the thing where it's like, oh, okay, well, sure, we're at the creation of the universe. Sure, we've got uh, somebody from Woodstock. Like, I don't know. There, there was something uh, that... I couldn't like find a human in road to the entire like issue with Quinn. So uh, that was, that was, yeah. I put up a brick wall early on, I guess. You're like, it's Oh, weird. this isn't about all the men being dead. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we keep yeah. revisiting that. Yes. Oh, it's about middle-aged men worrying about their mortality. Like, yeah, uh, that's it. This is your, it's like that Oppenheimer review, men talking. That's all this is. Yep. Strangely, because I tend to have more or similar issues with other sci-fi like that. But with Star Trek, I don't know that, that the bigger stuff like that doesn't bother me. Like, I don't mind them going back to the creation of the universe. I'm like, no, that tracks. It's like, oh yeah, everyone no matter what race you're in or part of the galaxy, it's like, Oh, I'm sure every culture that knows about space has like their theories about the start of the universe. So it's like, that's a universal thing. They can go back to the beginning of the universe. It's crazy, but like, yeah, cues are that powerful, but I find it weirder when it's just like, Oh, we're going to go back and get yeah Isaac Newton and some guy who f- like might've ruined Woodstock. It's just so, yeah, like very oddly like current viewers. And yet in universe, I guess maybe their argument is, well, we're not going to cite this alien races weird thing that they had happen because that's not going to relate to the people that are judging this case so we which we is what Q says yeah humanities that's does he, he he does say that Quinn has had an effect across the galaxy across the galaxy and okay, he yeah. says and on earth like some okay. people that you so, might know or whatever like that was kind so of yeah, the, so the setup there that kind of does make sense to me then but in general like that is definitely one of the tropes that they always do which is like oh we're just going to go back Again, it's just like to relate to the people watching the show and not the people because Kat and I are always saying like, well, why don't they bring someone from like the year 2570 something instead of like, well, so like 1999. The the tricky part is, is that both of those things that happen in Star Trek, like, well, just to that point, Riker is from the 24th century. Just that's just the audience knows. But like there is. Yep. Yep. Cat, there's a long and storied tradition of this silliness in Star Trek. Abraham Lincoln <laughs> was literally in the original <laughs> That's series. Right. That's right. And, and in that uh, same episode, they put someone from uh, 1960s, the future, from that. They put like a space uh, fascist oh, yeah. in there as well. And they put Genghis Khan. So it's like they, they try oh, to right. do all that. I'm just, I mean, I'm realizing I'm clearly just a female chauvinist because when mm. Janeway met Amelia Earhart, I was on board. So. <laughs> 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 well, so yeah. I don't know if this will make you more upset, less upset or what shrug, <sighs> but uh, Maury Ginsburg, <laughs> that was not the original, the, the original trio, I guess. Isaac Newton was always I there. I just read this today. It was great. Yeah. Uh, and then it was going to be Cal Ripken Jr. <laughs> as, <laughs> instead of Maury Ginsburg. And then uh, it was going to be Jordy instead of Riker. Oh. oh, that I didn't read. I just read about 
Ripken. And and the whole thing about uh, Jordy was, well, he did not look. LeVar Burton was like, I'm done with that. I'm growing a beard. I've got my earring and I'm going to be cool. <laughs> and, they're, and they're like, well, he doesn't look like Jordy at all. So they, they went with they went with Frakes. Uh, what did you think about Frakes in this appearance? He he's supposed to be post all good things right before Generations Riker. And he definitely oh, looked okay. didn't quite look like Generations or he didn't look like either. He looked a little bit older than both of those. <laughs> yeah. He was like you said earlier, he was just he was just Riker like to a T. It was perfect. He shows up, you know, they introduce him to Isaac Newton and some guy named Maury Ginsburg. And he's like, oh, hey, like he's just so like, <laughs> yeah, this is nothing new to me. Like, sure. Right. You're Isaac Newton. I've I've met all sorts of crazy people and creatures and people. from the As, past. Like, sure. And then, oh, and here's a picture of my, my great, great, great grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, like I know it is men talking basically, but every time Janeway speaks in this episode is amazing. She gets uh, yeah. the, she She's has to so explain good. to them what's going on. And she first tries just the rational oh, approach. That bit I love her so turn good. into like, you're having a weird dream. You're in a dream. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's I, I thought it was so, she was so beat. great in that. Yeah. Uh, it was fantastic. I just want the listeners to know that when I listed all the historical figures, uh, fictional or real historical figures that have existed in Star Trek, that to me is not the worst Trek trope. I just want to, <laughs> I want everyone to know. I think more presidents should show up in Star Trek and and should be criticized. Like Ohura dunks on Lincoln. That's cool. So well, and, and also like I don't. That's awesome. Maybe you know maybe I did not understand like the prompt because I would say any Trek trope can be good or can be bad. Yes. Like it was just about the the use in this episode was yes. my ranking. I think that's all, fair. That's fair. I think there are opportunities for us to tr- go into a Christmas tree ornament that will absolutely work, but <laughs> <laughs> not this time. Got it. <laughs> uh, but I very much liked Riker being, uh, you know, Riker and Janeway meeting. I think they both made that scene. That was nice. Know, sparkle. Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. <laughs> Ethan, please go, go first. Oh man. Um, okay. That one I think I did have, which was, again, I keep coming back to all just the goofy bits between Q and Janeway. I just love all the weird little flirtatious stuff. Like when he um, shakes her hand and is like talking about her soft hands. Sorry. I'm obviously not having like a specific line. I'm very vague here, but um. oh, and then also I just love when she first mentions them having a hearing and Q goes a hearing and he gets like so excited about having a court case. He's just like lights up. Um, And then his whole line about like, did anyone ever tell you you're angry when you're beautiful? Ugh. Yeah, so just I'm all with these Gat, dumb, <laughs> no, all but these like, dumb cute pickup lines. But it was also yeah. great. Like he was so cheese that I loved. That's what him, I mean. Like know? they're terrible, but like yeah. that's what I loved about him. Like I don't think there was a great. Well, no, that's not true. What you mentioned earlier, I guess maybe it's not a specific line, or I guess it is. But her saying, like, I think life. You know what she says to him at the end. I think life can be beautiful. Or mm-hmm. uh, Janeway's it like where she I has like the aside to to Quinn. I yeah. like this life. Yeah. And just her delivery of that is like you said, so sincere, so beautiful. So I really like that sincerely. And then a lot of these other funnier lines, like oh, a trial. Cat, <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I have some that maybe conflate the line, the great lines and the most of its time quality categories. But uh, when Alpha Q shows up and says, is this a ship of the Valkyries or have you human women finally <laughs> done away with your men once and for all? But like, 
that was one of my great scenes because it's just like rat-a-tat-tat with these like zingers. He's so uh, mm. flirty with Janeway. He's racist to Chakotay. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he's and then he's surprised like... by his facial art. He's like, ooh, facial art. Like, I've never seen that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my... I thought Tuvok's closing argument was also good. I will say that I, well, maybe I'll come back to it for a later category. I liked that post-decision line that Janeway has, but I actually did not care for her decision and how she logicked that one out. But my last uh, great line would be Quinn, who says to Tuvok, you surprised me, Mr. Tuvok. What a rare Mm. and special gift for a Q. Um, which I thought that was like the most relatable he seemed with his mortality yeah. dilemma the whole time. Yeah, I, that's a great point about Quinn. Just sort of, sort of like he never quite rolls up his sleeves, but I think mm-hmm. that's his character, right? That's he was in the philosopher, the intellectual yeah. of the continuum. So he was always right. kind of like floating above society. And so the idea that he would continue being that around humans, all that said, yeah, we never get like a real raw moment. We kind of almost do when they're in the continuum. Those are, yeah, those are great lines. I had five and I, maybe they're all silly. Um, mm. uh, Torres of Janeway, all the men have disappeared. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then Janeway being like, yes, yeah. I know. Uh, yeah, exactly. to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. She just and then, like quickly. And then when they're in the Big Bang, Torres the ship will not survive the formation of the cosmos. <laughs> Torres is one of the best Torres lines ever. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Q, then, yeah. And then clear in the continuum Q1. Oh, we've all done the scarecrow. Big deal. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and I liked Q2's line in the continuum of, as well. They don't dare feel sad. If only I, they could, that would be progress. Um, you know, I think these are all like things that touch on. They suggest something very profound, but it's mm-hmm. difficult, right? To ra- to wrap your arms around it. That's what we're kind of saying. It's like, and maybe that's part of this and that's why it has to, Janeway is sticking as much to the letter. And I, Kat, I'm going to ask you later about her logic and what you disagree with because yeah. I'm very interested. I, we should have maybe discussed that earlier, but it's very interesting. Um, and the last great line I have, although I did like her line to Q about, you know, I like this life and all that stuff. The last one I still wrote down was, You've been in my chambers enough for one visit, sir. Right. <laughs> He's like, let's Perfect. sidebar. Well, so can I throw in my most of its time quality? Well, here? that's what we're moving on to right now. So okay. you go kick okay. us off. Yes. So even though like I loved every one of his goofy lines, Q being so consumed with like, I'm a man and you're a woman. And that's interesting to me, I think yeah. is a very like 90s way to tell this story even ten thousand percent yes (laughs) i agree like like even today i haven't watched loki season two but that always kind of irked me about loki is that like any sort of like godlike or or superhero characters when it's like there was a line in loki season one where sylvie says to him have you dated any princesses or princes in the past and it's like very like whoa 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 Where I just think, like, you've been around for, like, millennia, and you're really going to be, like, not pansexual. (laughs) Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, why it would be, why, like, men's roles and women's roles would be so important to you. So for Q to show up, it's 
it made me laugh out loud that he says that's what we get for having a woman in the captain's seat, like yeah. addressing all of these like t- Star Trek two woke viewers, I guess. But <laughs> that I feel like today, if you were to write your um, Dr. Manhattan esque character, he wouldn't just be like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Uh. Yeah, it was a it was a bummer that they were just to a woman captain. Ooh, a lady yeah. captain. She's like, do not call me Madam Captain. But it's just like the whole thing, your soft hands. Oh, you're really wearing the pants. You've got to make the tough decisions. And it was sort of yeah. that sexism mixed in with what you were saying. You're like, does Q's shtick really work for this premise? Because remember, after they agree to the asylum, he's like, my, my. He's like doing season one Q suddenly. You've yeah. got to make a big yeah. decision. It's like, we don't need you to walk us into the commercial break Q. We got it. We, <laughs> what, what, what year is this is what it felt like for sure. Yeah. Um, I didn't like yeah. the you're angry when you're beautiful. It just It's fun when he calls Worf stupid. But, you know, eat any good books lately. But it's just like everything else (laughs) and like criticizing Crusher's bedside banner like that. Those are one thing. But just like straight up addressing like a woman captain. People don't like this. So I'm just going to play to that because people like me. And it was just kind of annoying that they wrote it that way. Especially in like a, a, you know, idealized Federation future where we don't see Janeway receive sexism from her crew as much as a woman in a power, a position of leadership does actually in real life, you know? So it's not like we're used to seeing her have to roll her eyes when somebody looks at her butt. (laughs) So that felt like, Oh, here's our chance to like finally put her in that position. Yeah. Uh, The blue screen halo on cue when he's interviewing himself (laughs) to John Delancey's that was very of its time. I mean, that was a tough effect for them to do for that time. And, it were it was a good effect. I'm just saying that the blue hue was there. Any other most of its time qualities, Ethan Cat? Otherwise we'll move on. No, I think that's right. it. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys talked about Q's weird <laughs> like all the goofy lines that I was picking up before. I think we're in that same vein of me just being like, Oh, I like seeing Q being Q, just being an idiot and being kind of a pompous ass, but it's absolutely very of its time where it's like, Oh yeah, it, it's different when he's being a pompous ass and insulting Worf's intelligence. But yeah, it's like it's it's definitely more grating when it's like sexist. The but the network the one time. network note was like he's gotta hate that it's a lady right yeah <laughs> yeah which exactly makes no sense <laughs> yeah. at all but like yeah because uh, when you've been around for all this time like haven't you been tormenting right. some like goop creature also like <laughs> right why yes. would the minute differences between a human male and a human female make you blink yeah. you know this isn't You're like in. Another- this isn't like an olive leaf, but he does say like, did you, when he says the Valkyrie line, he's like, did you finally get rid of all the <laughs> he, does, right, yeah. he does kind of suggest like, I know the patriarchy has been an issue for you. Right. Maybe they're smarter than all of us. And they're just like making him play both sides all the time. Maybe. We're just getting little snippets of him. Yeah. Yes. The 1996 YouTube video would have been like Q woke. Question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just exactly. <laughs> All right, now I'm. I need some help here. So the Anton Critian Award for Best Performance. I'm really torn here. So uh, Ethan, do, who do you think had the best performance of this episode? I mean, I know I'm like a broken record at this point, but I do still think it was was Janeway. I think she's she's doing a good job. Okay, Cat. Yeah, I really think she was the best performer in this one. Uh, she's wonderful, but for me, it's John Delancey. Like I wrote in quotation marks, understood the assignment. I feel like people use that phrase (laughs) to mean a lot of different things, but 
he's being the best Q a, a Q can be. <laughs> so this is my issue. I think everybody, the main characters for this episode, not Neelix, not Chakotay, <laughs> not Tom Harris. Not you. Nah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, everyone in that hearing room, and I mean, literally everyone, even the witnesses that pop up. Like, I think everyone. Even Maury Ginsburg himself. Maury Ginsburg was Ginsburg. great. Maury, so Maury Ginsburg, that's the actor's name. And they just right, liked it right. and thought it fit. They're like, that. we're just going with that. Yep. Uh, and I know. That was like one of his early credits. And he's gone on to have like a great career uh, in part Sir because Isaac of Newton. Who would have who would have been a suspect in several prostitute murders? <laughs> Another very nineties, uh, you know, committing suicide and and talking about prostitutes. Yeah, oh, but I mean, uh, he was a great. I think his voice was great. He was like, "What is the meaning of this?" Like, I thought it was it all fit. Uh, I don't know. I just yeah, Kate Mulgrew is great. You can pr- basically say that all the time. She had a really great right. script, I think. I mean, we it seems like we disagree, but I thought she had a, her Janeway's role in this episode was was well developed, very clear, uh, was interesting. Uh, she had to do quite a lot. Uh, of course, Janeway's going to like stay up all night and become an expert on the asylum procedure. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's just it's all there. That makes sense. And I agree about John Delancey. I thought the parts where he was grading, though, he was grading because he can yeah. be obnoxious, and it's like. I don't know. And then, but I thought Garrett Graham as Quinn gave a good performance and I like his and Tuvok's dynamic. I thought Tuvok's role in this was work. So I'm like torn. Like I almost want to say Garrett Graham, just so we say like the big three of this episode, we're all, it's like a three-way tie, but, uh, but you know what? Maybe I should just uh, side with, I'm going to go with Kate Mulgrew because I think she actually had the most to do, not the heavy lifting. They all had to, you know what? They all lifted it together. Maybe that's yeah. the thing. And, and, and yeah. I don't know. So uh, I don't disagree that the rest of them did a great job too. Like she's just in the hearing room. room. Just want to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> I, think the dog, I think the great. dog in the continuum didn't do a good job. <laughs> yeah. Those silent roles yeah. were really, yeah. but no, yeah. The, the Q2 is, he was solid. He was, everyone did a really good job, but yeah, she just continues to stand out to me, but you're right. She's that way all the time. So, <laughs> And I mean, so that complicates the our next grade, which is asking mm. who was the Shatner in this episode? Like who really went for it? And that doesn't necessarily mean like gave a hammy performance or bad. So who really went for it? I put that's where I put John Delancey because he's like, I have to be a grading obnoxious misogynist here. And I am or sexist and be annoying. And, and he was. Um, but at the same time, yeah, that- like as Kat's mentioning, like he's like restrained when he has to be and is emotional. He, we see that turn when they're in the continuum. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I talked myself out of a Shatner for this one. I think that's like the perfect assessment. Cause I think if we're talking just like best performance and we're kind of, we've covered a lot of them, but we're kind of sort of agreeing that, uh, that Mulgrew might be it, but then yeah, Shatner, the way you just described, cause I agree he's, you know, he's often made fun of and caricatured for his performance. But if you watch, his Kirk stuff. He's really good. And um, yeah, I think, I think Delancey in this is like a perfect, like I the Shatner like award for this one works for him. Delancey very well for the and Mulgrew are like a yin and yang here, you know, like they each mm. have a, a drop in the Anton Cardin award and in the Shatner. <laughs> but then, uh, cause for me, I give the Shatner to her when she's ex- uh, mm. trying to explain time travel to Isaac Newton and Murray Ginsburg <laughs> in the in the sense that like it's, uh, but- it fits perfectly in context but it 
it's so funny to me. Like the way that she has to turn and go, you're having a very strange dream. Like she does it very theatrically in a way that she doesn't always, like when she's restrained, it's very, very Mm. powerful. But when she's, you know, when she's like, Tuvaka, I'm disappointed in you. When she's like, (laughs) when she's being very like, let me tell you something grand like there's something yeah. just kind of florid about it that uh that i agree laugh, but it uh, here's my proposal well in the That's scene a good call here's my proposal Co- mulgrew and delancey for both caridian and yeah. shatner because we, we've had dual winners of both so why not have yeah. dual yeah. dual winners that that makes sense to me <laughs> yeah uh, the duality of yes that's episode. right so what part of Perfect. this will they teach at starfleet academy so i'll, I'll go oh, first man. in case it's unclear so basically the effectiveness of, of Starfleet asylum hearing procedures. Mm-hmm. I mean, Janeway, she knew it. Right. And like, yeah. that's like a, probably if not a textbook one, I mean, the stakes could not be more like I abstract or esoteric in a way, because it's yeah. like, how do you mortality or immortality is somehow a disease that's causing suffering, but you're also dealing with the Q continuum. They're kind of antagonistic towards the Federation. So how do you put that aside when it's clearly like a tension? Um, I don't know. It flowed very well, but that could have just been the writing. But anyway, so that uh, probably some of the data they gathered from actually experiencing the Big Bang theory, yeah. not the show, <laughs> the, the event. Um, right. But but uh, that Bazinga. Oh, yeah. they might have taken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were like, we registered 10,000 bazingas on, on that trip. <laughs> <laughs> that's what those little yeah yes. protons were a sheldon looked... scale just it was off the sheldon scale <laughs> yeah. oh man uh anyone want to toss in what they might have taught at starfleet academy from this episode if not, no, we not you're right that's it they they her her expert handling of this asylum case is like perfect i definitely wonder if there would be a revisit to what the holographic <laughs> the the hollow doctor like like what would he what is his protocol on something like this i am curious about and if that's been updated but this is where my my brow furrowed when janeway makes her decision because she starts and i and i'm like nodding yes this makes perfect sense and then she turns i thought she was basically saying look we don't know what impact a, a mortal Q will have on the Q continuum. And I thought the end of her sentence was going to be about like, and because of the prime directive, it's not for me to come in here and weigh in on the Q continuum's laws of existence because it could alter the fabric of reality. <laughs> like, and so the fact that we know every Star Trek captain has violated the prime directive mm-hmm. several times, but that was my like, I, I kind of took issue. I was I was surprised that she made the call that she did because it seemed like none of them knew what the stakes were. They could have been insignificant or they could have been, you know, monumental and existence shattering. Uh, and so I just figured she would say, look, it's not for me to alter the course. Um, and that I think is what would be discussed in an ethics class at Starfleet Academy. So cats overturning it on first amendment. I'm sorry, general order one grounds here. Prime. <laughs> <laughs> well, so one, I guess one wrinkle to that, which I, I agree. I think this would be a great uh, lesson in Starfleet Academy, 
but like he came to the Federation asking for asylum. So they, they are compelled to be involved to some degree. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, she's I, not I, interfering in a culture that hasn't achieved warp yet or right, anything. Warp. And it's, yeah. But I don't think, I think Kat's point still applies. I think the prime directive could also broadly be taken as non-interference in the development of a civilization. This is not, the Q are not part of the Federation, right? They, they it's have, like, yeah, yeah. it's the conundrum of time of uh, creatures that can time travel and that are omnipotent in some sense of the word is like, is this not also violating the time travel rules of whatever of interfering right, right. in the but they've line. also interfered in our in our development yes quite but like they're not right. beholden yeah <laughs> so i mean i guess it's like <laughs> it's an is this is, i also think it's like this is this is a decision that janeway's making to be like just get them the fuck off my ship what gets <laughs> oh, yeah. you know i mean so she's actually like an act of self-preservation in a way of like going through with this entire process and i think i think i'm I track what you're saying. And I, I think you're like, I don't think she reasons it out. Well, I still feel like I can buy the emotional uh, going with it that she gets, that she arrives at that. And also I think just Q showing up in her bed. Maybe that was the bad, bad strategy. Uh Maybe that was, that was the uh, bridge too far. And she's, yep. She was like, Uh I don't have any sympathy for them. And not that my sympathy was going to carry the day, but I'm very less interested in knowing what happens to them than this guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, who did, who just made his case as clearly as he could. All right. Could this episode have been hornier then? And would that have made it better? <laughs> Ethan, why don't you lead us up? That's the horniest one on this panel. I no, mean, of course it could have been hornier, but then it wouldn't have been Star Trek anymore. It would have been something else. Like, so like, no, I don't, uh, I don't think making it any hornier would have made it better. <laughs> it just would have made it less PG. <laughs> uh, yeah, I no, mean, it's, you know, like I said, Riker... I like their fun little. <laughs> Riker could have been like in the shower and just had a towel wrapped around him. It's like, like right. he That's would what I'm saying. Like, yes, it could have been hornier, but it also would have then just bumped it into another category, a level of. He wouldn't have said Q what what the hell's going on. He would have just looked at Q and like his shoulders would have slumped and he would have again gone, come on, Q. <laughs> so, like, here's, here's an etching of Riker's ancestor, and it's like a Greek god in a token. Right. That right. <laughs> yeah. It was like a what's famous like Lothario and, of like, the past. Just yeah. like a Riker who's a like yeah, golden just, idol. Yes. Yeah. Errol Women Flynn. at his feet. Yeah. That's right. Instead <laughs> um, of like these dumpy looking Civil War guys with like a bad yeah. Photoshop face. No, I mean I wanted I want to uh, I just wanted to hold space for for Riker not being horny enough. Uh, mm-hmm. But in reality, my comment was on this: what could be hornier than Janeway's intense whisper while wearing her pink satin nightgown with her hair down mm-hmm. around her shoulders? Yeah, I because was, yeah. she just puts a lot of salt and pepper on those lines, and it's it's delicious. Always. I think the episode was plenty horny and the, the, the fact that they were able to get any horniness into it was, uh, and also this is the only real way that, well, let me, let me rephrase. This is probably the easiest way to put your captain in a sexual situation in, in under the circumstances of Voyager. It's almost like I've got to get these idiots, this bucket of idiots home. 
And like, I can't, so I'm not going to fraternize with any of them. And how many, how often are we stopping over the side of the road to like hook up with people or like even meet people? So, so I got to go on the holodeck and fuck these Irish farmers. Uh, sorry, that's later. You'll find that out later. Uh, no, I, well, I've seen her, I've okay. seen her making out with like some, some baron of some place. But if uh, I can digress for a second though, that was, I referenced like, uh, a time when I appreciated that Voyager pushed Janeway's like principles a bit. And it was the episode when they go to the pleasure planet and uh, there's a discussion about like, are we going to trade right. our library of, of literature for um, this advanced technology that'll get us home a lot faster. And she has a flirtation with their leader. And I thought, Again, maybe because it was the 90s and it was UPN and network television, but that he was going mm. to proposition her. And I thought, now that's a situation we wouldn't have seen our male captains necessarily placed in. But what if the episode hinged on him saying, yeah, just spend the night with me and I'll give you access to that uh, transporter. No, no problem. And then she'd have to ask herself, like, what are my principles, not as a Starfleet captain, but as a woman? Uh, again, would have been interesting, but I'll save it for my... Uh, fanfic page i guess uh. <laughs> am i reading am i supposing this is this saying more about me or am i'm trying to accurately put myself in the place of 50 year old men writing television at the time uh -huh. which the, i think these attitudes still hold even today that that scenario just her being asked diminishes her in the eyes of this is a I'm saying this is what the male writer's perspective on yeah. that idea is it's like well wouldn't that make Janeway look weak like that yeah. kind of thing and I think but you're bringing up a really interesting point and it's like so you're saying uh writer that when Kirk would do this to women that you are agreeing that Kirk was somehow diminishing women, even though you think like, say Kirk is a hero or when a man mm -hmm. pursues a woman, that's like very good. But the fact that she's allowing herself to be pursued or it's happening at all is like a, a diminishes her. That's what it seems like it would happen. Cause they very much hermetically sealed Janeway uh, a lot of the time, <laughs> not, yeah, not totally, I mean, but a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. I think there must've been so many interesting studio conversations happening when they were developing the show and casting Janeway and deciding on the uniform and deciding on the hair and makeup because she has to be beautiful, but not, but in a very specific type of way, you know, she has to be powerful and everyone respects her and like would sexualizing her at all make people lose respect for her. I think, yes, I think people's like misogynist tendencies would be, Oh God, I can't believe she like got flirtatious or had a crush. I don't want to see that from this woman captain, you know? Um, but I think what so far has been great is that she's still like, I, I am able to watch the show and see her as uh, a captain and as a woman, not as like a captain, but she's a woman. Um, yeah. So I think that's, I've been impressed with that within the limitations of a nineties production. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. The politicking behind the scenes, the interference, the, everyone having an opinion, mostly men. And then you've basically got Jerry Taylor as the, the lone woman writer just reminding like, hey, <laughs> just so you know, 
women have two breasts like that like just just to be the backstop on facts and just like reminding you know just reminding people that this is a woman like a person like the the hairstyle i can't stop thinking about yeah because if she had a short haircut like a um tasha yard haircut right yeah it'd be way too butch you can't have the the lady captain having a butch haircut she has to be more feminine than that you know like i know that they were having those conversations so yeah uh and that changed over time because she does get she is able to shed the wig and just use her own hair bob yeah Yeah. later on it's just her own hair and this apparently was the episode where everyone making the show and i guess even the executives for the network because she did such a phenomenal job. And really she did an amazing job, you know, a Q episode where she's not a punchline they tried to make her one, but at the end she's standing powerful and she's the captain. It was, they cat, would you, you probably would believe this. They, they did not let Kate Mulgrew have any input on her character through this episode. Hmm. It was after this episode that she was finally able to like, Huh. motivate things and push things around and all that stuff. And then a couple, like a season and a half later, they're like, that's enough of that. Let's drop in a 20 year old blonde with big boobs and shove the old yeah. lady aside. But it, you know, she works her ass off to get to earn, earn to just like be given the respect <sighs> of like, you know what yeah. you're doing with this character. You have enough of the dynamic and cable grew is a Starfleet captain, which is not something that every actor has. She's authoritative. Yeah. She's powerful. It doesn't matter what her gender is. She's just, she's a captain. She's the captain of the you ship. can't all be Baculas. <laughs> which I think it, I think in the case of Bacula, it's like, obviously it's like, it's the third, it's the goofy dragon in that three headed dragon meme, uh, <laughs> Archer. But for the show, the context of the show, it was like, what if Maxim magazine reading bros went into space? That was the, that's like the premise of enterprise. And in that case, Bacula's archer actually works pretty well. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. He's like slightly better than the meatheads that are like exactly signing up to yep. be launched into space at the he, end of the 20th century. Yeah. That's right. He was the captain century. of the water polo team. He doesn't know anything about right. what went on upstairs. He was at the right. party, but he didn't, he doesn't know anything about that. Right. And, you know, Barry's right. a good guy. He didn't have any, I don't know what, maybe what she said is true. I'm not sure. I, I was with my dog. Um, you know, it was, it was a wild one. Anyway. All right. So Trek, marry or kill death wish. Ethan. I'd say Trek, but you know, you could, you could probably do without it. I don't think it's like imperative that you watch this episode, but I'd still say it's like not a waste of time. Trek. Cause it's, wow, you know, good thing you weren't Kate Mulgrew's agent. <laughs> this is the episode that got her more power. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I'm kind of surprised to hear that. Not, not because I mean, clearly I loved her performance in this episode and we've said like, I love her performance across the board, but uh, I'm kind of just for some reason surprised at that. And again, I'm also in the middle of my kind of rewatch. Like I haven't watched this all the way through just the once. And that was like maybe eight years ago. So I'm kind of right in the middle of, so it'll be cool to see now knowing that going forward, like what else she does and, why this was the one that really shifted it. All right, Kat. Yeah, I mean, kill, I, uh, but like I did, I did LOL watching this, you know? So, um, but yeah, kill, I, I felt like it wasn't, it wasn't up to my Star Trek uh, standards. So you shouldn't have done it. All right. I was, I was a Mary for a long time on this. I, mm-hmm. I watched these like four plus times in preparation for the show. And like I said yeah. uh, earlier, like I was surprised by how much I had, 
remembered from watching this. I was really captivated by all the performances that 10 minute sequence, the first hearing thing. I, it's what I said before. I really think that's one of the best 10 minutes in Voyager. And as goofy as it gets cat, it's like the, when Voyager gets goofy later on, it doesn't have like, there's no, there's nothing under undergirding the whole premise. So it's like within the confines of the premise, it, it worked for me, but I think I did wind up finally softening. I think the ending doesn't, I mean, it's, Okay, he, he takes poison because Q slipped it in for him. I don't feel like Quinn we actually care about all that much, uh, even through our characters. Like Janeway and Tuvok don't really come to care about him. They they don't yeah. seem to. They kind of do. Like they, they understand his plight. So I guess I'm going to say a Trek and maybe a stronger Trek than than I thought coming into preparing for this episode. Sorry, Kat. We're, we're over. The men are, uh, if only Quinn could snap <laughs> us away. All right, Ethan. Extra dramatic snap. That's right. Uh, so, Ethan, anything you want to promote? Uh, hopefully, sometime early next year, we'll finally be premiering our Clone High podcast. Yeah. Uh, which is called Remember the Memories, a Clone High podcast, which is focused on the initial first season of Clone High from back in 2003. Um, yeah, so look out for Remember the Memories, a Clone High podcast. Ethan just did a, a Frasier project. Oh. oh, yeah, I guess, yeah. Um, a friend of ours, Jacob Reed, um, editor-director, I guess, um, put together a wonderful little project called Our Frasier Remake. That's what all the social media is, Our Frasier Remake, one word. Um, and it he split up the season one finale of the original run of Frasier into six to 10 second segments and had people claim each of them. So some 200 animators, stop motion artists, puppeteers, all sorts of creative people did one of those remakes where they did the whole episode. Uh, and it it's up on YouTube and on social media. We had some screenings here in New York and Seattle and everywhere. And it was, it turned out really, really good. It's a very fun little project, kind of a love letter to Frasier before that new season just came out. And Kat, Feminist Frequency Radio. Yes, I host a media criticism podcast where I basically watch movies and TV shows and talk about them. So if uh, you're listening to this and you weren't annoyed by my uh, dragging of this episode, look up (laughs) uh, Feminist Frequency Radio or F-E-M-F-R-E-Q as the social handles. Uh, On a personal note, uh, I did my manicure this week. Uh, to look oh, yeah. like the Voyager uniforms. <laughs> so oh, that's, oh. How that's much really cool. Is that on social that I can uh, post or yes, like I'll attach this? You, I'll make sure <laughs> to send the picture. So before I change my nail polish, I wanted to share that I spent a good hour and a half painting, um, <laughs> painting little yellow and red and black uh, Voyager uniforms on my nails because I am. Um, losing Wonderful. my mind and so that's how i process well i appreciate you both stopping by to uh drive by kill death wish <laughs> next week Kristen's back and we're going to transition from the trials of season two into a new theme you'll hear about but we're going to be talking about two vix <laughs> which bum, bum, cat bum. i can't wait for you to text me about so until next week TMK out.